Mobile is the future. Use it to power up your profits. Welcome to Mobile Power and Profit, presented by Rumble. Our show focuses on the latest news and information impacting mobile marketers, publishers, and technologists. We speak with the power players of mobile monetization. WebmasterRadio.fm presents Mobile Power and Profit, presented by Rumble. Please welcome our host, Wen Tu. Welcome to Mobile Power and Profit, presented by Rumble, the ultimate platform to run your mobile business. This is your host, Wen Tu, and each week we discuss a key aspect of the mobile industry with the mobile thought leader. As publishers continue to see an increase in revenue from their digital properties, not just from advertising, but from branded content as well, we wanted to get a little bit more into what is really the evolution of monetization of branded content. Today, we have Nick Cicero from Del Mondo here to talk to us about the future of content monetization in the mobile industry. Nick Cicero is the CEO and founder of the influencer marketing agency Del Mondo and a strategist at Brave Ventures, a media consulting and VC firm. He has spent time building and implementing new enterprise social media publishing, social listening, and digital analytics tools with LiveFire, Expion, and Percolate. Welcome to the show, Nick. Hey, thank you very much for having me, Wen. How are you doing? Good, good. So with the rise of new revenue outlets for digital publishing industries such as Apple News and now Facebook Instant Articles, what are some key changes you think we'll be starting to notice in the way publishers distribute and monetize their content? A great question, uh, and I want to thank you for having me on the show again. I appreciate you inviting me. It's it's something that we get asked all the time at Dalmondo. Mm-hmm. Um and that really, the change is happening because a lot of the audience is happening on distributed channels, right? Yeah. So whereas before, a lot of the eyeballs and the attention were funneled into the .com, so WallStreetJournal.com or the New York Times.com yeah. or SportsIllustrated.com, uh, where that was, you know, the holy grail, which mm-hmm. you know, which was before, obviously, the the, you know, the print publication or the magazine. Now today, it's kind of they're losing that, right? Because a lot of the traffic. The distribution layer on the web has shifted from, from knowledge based on search, which kind of in the early days of the internet, it was kind of focused a lot on, on search and being found. Uh, and now it's moved into that you know, personalization and the discovery that happens on social media. Mm-hmm. So the, when the distribution platforms change and they become you know, very much like the publishers' websites themselves, they find it really hard, right? Because you know, this this company or these Twitters, these Facebooks of the world that were once just really good for link sharing have now decided themselves that this is the way for them to make money. And that's by keeping the eyeballs on their, on their apps as yeah. much as possible. So, you know, really for Apple news and instant articles and, and you know, now Twitter moments, I think that what we're starting to see are, you know, relationships being built between publishers and platforms to figure out how is that premium content distributed, who gets, you know, favorable runs or favorable uh, views or impressions in certain places in order to be able to supply a lot of these platforms with the premium content that the actual users create anyways. Yeah. So like the homepage is more or less, it's, it's no longer the top mantle, top shelf anymore. It's no. really the, these distributed channels, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, or Apple. So this is completely sort of new territory for publishers to put those platforms as top shelf strategies. So what challenges do publishers face as they grapple with this and what can they do to survive or, or, or even thrive with this new distributed model? 
I think that um, I mean, there's a lot to that, yeah. to that, and there's a lot of questions there. Yeah. I'll start with probably the problems, and I think the problems really boil down to three things that every publisher seems to be falling into, and that's uh, a staff. So, how do you actually create a team that, mm-hmm. that is knowledgeable enough to publish on these new channels while still maintaining the identity and the voice of uh, an established publication? Um, how do you actually monetize and build a revenue model that you know can take into account that team? And then how do you actually build out a sales and operation team that you know can take that monetization plan and actually go out and sell it? Right. I think, and those are kind of the three the three main components. How do you build it and get people to there? Yeah. How do you support that and make money off of it? And then how do you actually like optimize that and actually get people out there buying this? So. so- from first blush, I can see a publisher having a lot of anxiety about this. It just sounds like what you said is, I'm going to do a lot more work that is new and complex for unknown, maybe not as much money as I'm used to. So how? Uh, I think that there's, there's, a hesitant, you know, there's a hesitancy by a lot of media companies because they're a little bit o- more older and established in their, their regimens like everybody else. Yeah, uh, there's like a, a you know they're hesitant to jump and make the jump into that, and and it's not something that like happens overnight. You know, obviously, I think that you can anybody could go into like an organization and you know be like, hey, did you know like you're you're make you're missing money here and here and here, but change it like that takes place over time. Yeah, and so just the same way that big corporations have to have to have change management, and that happens you know from the the top down. A lot of that has to happen in the media companies as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I look to this sounds like a, an interesting comparison, but you look at a company like IBM, you know, who's taken years to completely rehaul and retool their service offerings and kind of how they make money and how they you know communicate those offerings. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those changes, I mean, media companies are having to find that they have to do the same thing too, right? They have to, you know, whether it's like a Snapchat Discover. They might have to invest a year's worth of time and resources into to seeing if that's like a worthwhile platform. Yeah. And if it works, it works. But if it doesn't, maybe it's not. I mean, BuzzFeed has invested a significant amount of money over the past four to five years in social channels, in creating new content and building audience and building channels on all of these distributed platforms just as much as they've built it on their dot com. Yeah. And only just, you know, in the past two months has Twitter even turned on monetization so now BuzzFeed can actually sell against that inventory and actually start to make money. Yep. But now they have a huge distributed network that they actually can monetize. So they're actually ahead of the game by making that risk. And so, so I think that everybody's going to have to make that risk and decide what's the, the best bet for them. So would you suggest more like the Twitter or really just the startup mentality of get the eyeballs first and figure out the business model later? I think that, yeah, I think that that mentality certainly is, I think that every company will benefit from that, right? Everybody, every company is going to benefit from that fail fast mentality and trying new things. I think media companies especially do need to recognize the fact that, um, that they do have a significant amount of audience built on all these other platforms and they need to kind of take an approach and say, here's, you know, here's potentially what we can do. And they need to take a little bit longer and try things out for a lot longer. And that's something I think that media companies aren't necessarily doing is investing the time that it takes in some of these or acquiring other companies. You know, we work with a lot of creators at Del Mondo and influencers Mm -hmm. 
who have built effectively their own networks on social channels, yep. huge engaged audiences. And so one of the things that I think that we'll start to see is media companies actually acquiring more of these creators or these influencers to actually produce content for their networks. Mm-hmm. So um, you have many clients um, in the publishing uh, industry. And one of the big things when they're going through this sort of digital transformation change management is a focus more on the data itself, um, sort of akin to what BuzzFeed has with their data scientists and things like that. Um, what kind of insights um, are, your, are you giving or are your clients finding out once they sort of really focus on uh, data and analytics when they think about sort of this new brave world of distributed content? Yeah, I think that um, you know a lot of publishers are looking for to find relationships, and that's kind of what we focus on at Del Mondo and the analytics, and whether that's you know between publishers and creators or creators and brands, mm-hmm. is finding relationships between very popular content creators and established media brands, mm-hmm. and trying to understand the value of those audiences, and, and trying to actually gauge a better understanding of how people consume content, where they consume it and when, mm-hmm. and then the flow of that and why certain content moves from one centralized tribe to another. And so I think that you know, a lot, the, the next generation of data is audience development and audience mm-hmm. data. And that's going to be the, the, the next big key to the unlocking the mysteries of you know, how content is shared on the web today. Okay. Well, on that note, um, we have to break, but in the next segment, we'll talk a little bit more about this audience development with Nick Cicero. Uh, We've been talking about all about content on mobile. Stay tuned. We'll be back shortly with more mobile power and profit right after this break. Stay tuned for more mobile power and profit after this brief profit timeout. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, seen other SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PPC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Introducing Rumble, the smart mobile management system, the first end-to-end mobile platform where you can make real-time app modifications from a point-and-click dashboard. Want to change the design of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the ad map of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the content mix of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Power your mobile business with Rumble. Are you ready to rumble? Visit www.rumble.me. Johnson, what's this mantis I keep hearing about? Do we need to call an exterminator? No, sir. Moby Mantis is our new SMS marketing tool. SM what? SMS, text messaging. Moby Mantis lets us communicate directly with our customers in real time. We can send promos, coupons. It even lets our customers market for us by sharing offers with their friends online. It's been great for business. Hmm, sounds expensive. Actually, I sign us up for an extended free trial. It hasn't cost us a dime. Good work, Johnson. I guess the only thing we'll be exterminating is the competition. To get your free extended trial of Moby Mantis, text RADIO to 21691. That's RADIO to 21691 for Moby Mantis. Giving you the power to increase your profits. 
This is Mobile Power and Profit, presented by Rumble, only on webmasterradio.fm. Once again, here's Wen Tu. Welcome back to Mobile Power and Profit. Nick Cicero has been bringing us up to date with the latest trends in mobile content and digital distribution. Um, in the last segment, we really talked about how publishing today has changed dramatically to a much more distributed channels model. And really the next big thing is audience development, Nick. Um, I know that with Del Mundo, you have really spent a lot of time with the social media channels um, as more and more readers are really spending their time on those platforms. Would love for you to just tell us what you see are some of the recent trends you see in the social media um, world. It's not that people don't know that this change is happening. It's not that people don't all recognize that more and more people are consuming content on social channels on their mobile devices. It's just all the other factors that go into play when somebody is on a mobile device. Where are they? What are they doing? You know, what are the other you know, environmental effects that might affect the, the way that they're consuming that piece of content? Uh, and all of those different changes, and I think that that is one of the the, ne- the next big trends too, is trying to identify consumer behavior, and a lot of people taking a lot more deep look at the you know the experiences in which they are on their mobile devices consuming this content. So, um, as publishers um, try to fight against them being too dependent on. Facebook and Twitters and Snapchats and the other distributed channels, um, and they're thinking about creating their own mobile presence. What are some things that they um, should really focus on um, so that the, that they're able to reach their audience and they don't have gateway issues of um, audiences not wanting to download their app or going specifically to their website? Well, I think that you have to look at it at a double-edged sword, right? I think that a lot of publishing companies have to look at their business model and say, you know, where are the revenue-driving parts of my business and where are the parts that, that drive a lot of the, the, the spirit, right? I think that you have, you know, companies like Forbes, for example, you know, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head, but you know, I think that they've seen a huge increase in native ad content or sponsored content that's on their channels. And while a lot of that gets out and they rely on, you know, sponsored authors who have their own, you know, their own networks to, to kind of promote that content. Mm-hmm. They also get to have their own straight laced streamlined content that is just Forbes content with staff writers. That's the content that's prioritized that's delivered to people. And then they sprinkle in this native content in and around it. Mm-hmm. So I think there's like a really cool, there's a, there's a, there's an opportunity for publishers to basically look at, you know, what actually drives the heart and soul of that brand as a publishing brand, where what do people want to see the content that they're looking for? Mm-hmm. Um, and increasingly that is becoming more native content. But the idea is like, how can you keep like a, a little bit of a separation of church and state, which I know is, is a little dangerous. A lot of people, that's it's a hot topic for everybody is, you know, editorial versus like content studio. But if you're able to like create a, your own ecosystem around your branded content from your publishing channels, you can actually like monetize that stuff and, and hopefully that will drive much more revenue so you can continue to staff your regular creators. Like if you look, you know, I, I hate to go back to BuzzFeed again, but obviously they're providing a really great example. Um, but you know, somebody like BuzzFeed has grown a news and politics organization out from all the joking listicles that people not talk with. Mm-hmm. BuzzFeed is a, is, you know, is a news source. Now, it's just, you know, a lot of people will still discredit it who are really, really old, but 
you know, much of the mainstream, everybody pretty much recognizes BuzzFeed as a, as a news source, just like ABC News. So when you, when you look at that, they're using branded content or other types of content to actually fund and drive other things that are really important to them that, that help drive that audience. So, you know, looking at platforms that are distributed is one way to do that. There's plenty of platforms that are, you know, plenty of publishing companies that haven't done that, that are, you know, that are now just behind paywalls or figure out different ways to do stuff like that. Um, and so it's really about, like we said before in the, the segment before break, is it's about testing and experimenting, right? And mm-hmm. being able to take some risks and being able to, you know, have smart people who can work with your creative editorial and audience development types who can kind of find that perfect balance and say, here are good opportunities as a publisher. You know, we don't want to publish everything, but, you know, maybe it is worth it. Maybe Washington Post can sell enough and get enough traffic and get enough commitments to make that worthwhile to publish all inside of instant articles. I think that that's going to be a case-by-case basis. Yeah. So being the founder of an influencer marketing agency and just because BuzzFeed keeps on coming up, um, we'll leave the church and state and what is the right balance between editorial versus content studio content to the side. But what tactically did you think that BuzzFeed did in influencer marketing that you think should be beacons of uh, success or uh, case studies that publishers should really try to replicate? Well, I think that um, BuzzFeed is a great example of the future of of publishing, right? I think Mm -hmm. that they've done, um, for one, they've hired great creators to staff divisions. Like they hired uh, Z Frank, Mm -hmm. who is a very popular, you know, I would say it's funny to say like an old school YouTuber now, but he's kind of like an old school YouTuber. And, you know, I've been on YouTube since it first started and he was one of, you know, very popular filmmaker in that community. And he came and he led and, and helped grow that video division. Um, but on top of that, they've basically done a great job building like all of these mini channels where they hire really smart, talented people who are creating really interesting content. But along the way, they've, you know, built very niche communities around mm-hmm. that, right? They hire people who are very passionate about a particular topic area and they get them creating really great content about that and activate a huge community. They have, they've had like a full community section where people can, you know, who wanted to be a part of the, the process of publishing in the Buzzfeed platform itself to go and create content. And that in turn creates new micro communities of micro influencers who are all like, you know, really popular just on Buzzfeed communities. You know, there's people who have actually, become wildly successful by being just free BuzzFeed contributors and their community articles have just blown up and they get, you know, brought into the regular BuzzFeed system. I don't know if they're still doing that anymore right now, yep. but, you know, those are those types of experiments for years that they've done and then that's, that's grown them each time. They've tested things. I mean, they might not do that the same way, but then they go back after and they do more. So just to be a little controversial, if, if I only selectively heard what you just said, would you say that in this distributed mobile feature of publishing, um, mainstream general media is dead and really only niche media is what's going to survive? I think, I think that it's the reverse. I think that more now than ever, niche media gives rise to mainstream stories. Okay. So I think that niche reporting and people uncovering or people that care about a certain topic or to be controversial want to mob and mob mentality about a certain topic, bring it to a collective consciousness. Like, you know, like it or not, something like Gamergate is something that was a very niche story 
that blew that that as it as it started to expand more and more and more people started to feel you know one way or the other on both sides of the fence in this case mm-hmm. you know that blew up and became a national media and really an international media story so i think that you have the ability you know more than ever before to use niche audiences to segment and test content in niche audiences and if it's a, an important enough issue then yeah then that will rise up and i do think that like you know, for example, I think that the BuzzFeeds of the world, will, you know, even if the homepage doesn't go away or something, you know, you test in, in niche markets, you test to smaller audiences, you can test your content to those smaller audiences and then figure out which one performs the best to the, to the widest audience and kind of surface the best you know, to other groups of people. Yep. So I think that's you know, why, wildly important as you look at videos growth as like a publisher strategy. Yeah. So it, does, it sounds like, okay, mainstream media is not dead or generalized, but um, the role of the mainstream or homepage editor um, is now going to be replaced by popularity of individual articles in which data can surface that up more easily and more effectively then. I wouldn't say replaced. Mm -hmm. I would say that data is a great way to inform and get you in the ballpark. Yeah. I think that it requires, and that is what, like, data, you know, data and automation can't replace style and personality and Mm -hmm. brand. And I I know know that there's a lot of great, you know, things with, with text and language, and I'm not saying that it can't, but, you know, to a point, if you want to have an identity and you want to have a relationship with folks, like you have to maintain a certain level of, of connection with your readers. And so, like I said, I do think that data helps to get you into the ballpark mm-hmm. and surface something. And then I think that it's what you use the insights for and how you use them. So I think that there's obviously great opportunities, right? Like data and insights can inform what's the most popular that, that could be turned into like an ad unit on a homepage. And that's mm-hmm. beneficial because it makes a publisher money. So I think that that is that is also the benefit for data, and I'm not always, you know, not always so sure that that one is is like always a byproduct of the other, right? Mm-hmm. So just because we're testing all this content in these niche marketplaces doesn't mean that like all of those stories are getting impacted in the way that BuzzFeed reports, you know, mainstream content, you know, mainstream stories like ABC does. Maybe they're using that data and insights to compile and run branded content against or. Yeah you know, mine that data for other reasons or other purposes to solve other problems. So there's, there's a lot of different reasons for wanting to do the types of things and, and generate a lot of data points because there's, you know, monetization opportunities around that. Okay, great. Well, this has been Nick Cicero from Del Mondo sharing, sharing with us the future of content on mobile. Keep listening for more mobile power and profit. Stay tuned for more mobile power and profit after this brief profit timeout. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. 
Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Reinventing keyword research, simplifying campaign optimization, redefining competitive analysis. SpyFu brings you an entirely new way to find the most profitable keywords for your SEO and PPC campaigns. New tools, new data, and a brand new look. We've streamlined SpyFu so that you can optimize your search engine marketing more efficiently, more accurately, and more intuitively. Visit SpyFu.com, that's S-P-Y-F-U.com, and start downloading your competitors' keywords now. Try it free. Finding links to improve your rankings in the search engines is time-consuming and frustrating for many of us. The Hoth is the go-to company to help lighten your link-building load. Their white-label SEO was made specifically for agencies, in-house SEOs, and affiliates. The Hoth also offers high-quality custom local citation building to improve search rankings in Google's maps and localized results, providing fulfillment for some of the largest SEO companies in the world. The Hoth offers link and citation building services you can trust. Get $20 in link building or citation building credits free by going to thehoth.com slash radio, T-H-E-H-O-T-H dot com slash radio. giving you the power to increase your profits. This is Mobile Power and Profit, presented by Rumble, only on webmasterradio.fm. Once again, here's Wen Tu. Thank you for staying tuned to Mobile Power and Profit. We've been sitting here with Nick Cicero from Demondo talking about the future of content on mobile. So, Nick, one of the big things that happened in the industry um, a, about a month or so is the release of iOS 9, which introduced very mainstream um, content or ad blocking, which has um, been a big concern for publishers today as they think about the new landscape of distributed content. Um, what is sort of your initial reaction to the ad blocking phenomena that has sort of rose up um, into everyone's stream of consciousness now? Well, I personally don't use an ad blocker myself as an advertiser because I want to see the ads and I know yeah. they're good, bad, or, or the other. Like, it's obviously for me, I'm a little bit of a different type of consumer. Yeah. So I, I'm, 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 I'm doing a lot more research on this myself. And obviously, you know, one of the biggest, one of the biggest effects of the ad blocking movement that seems to be coming out of there is it's pulling creators in a few different directions. And, you know, we work with a lot of influencers at Del Mondo. And, and a lot of them are big YouTube stars. And, and so when you look at that model, you see that creators, you know, potentially they have a better opportunity, right? Because that native branded content that is, has become so popular uh, that people come to us for, uh, it should be in more demand, which on one side, that's awesome, right? But the other side is, you know, creators who just want to build and manage and maintain their own audiences who may not want to just do branded ads or maybe they just want to monetize based on the different ways or you know PewDiePie came out and talked about about ad blocking and how 
you know, YouTube Red is a, is a response to that. Mm-hmm. So I think that for you know, when you look at like the creator side of things, it poses an interesting discussion because you have independent publishers, you know, yep. like we've been talking about here, right? Independent publishers, which are influencers. They're, they're given limited monetization resources from all these channels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now when you have an ad blocking tool, even if they wanted to raise up and use their, use their influence and use their, their audience on these distributed channels to create new web presences, like it kind of puts them in a tough spot because even if they sell against their own websites and they build it themselves, that then potentially gets blocked. So for both, you know, it's the same for publishers too. So I think that in general, when you look at the ad blocking phenomenon, you ask yourself, how do we actually build a relationship or how do we build new products that take that into account? And I think that it's still early in order to see, you know, what's the adoption of this ad blocking technology. And I think that we have to wait to see how it plays out. I think that obviously people who buy a lot of banner ads are going to be most impacted. Mm-hmm. And part of me is not so upset about that. Um, but at the same time, I think that it does, you know, going full circle kind of looking back at those things like Snapchat Discover, Facebook Instant Articles, Twitter Moments. You know, those are all things that aren't going to get blocked by ad blocking software. It's not the same. Uh, and those types of things, if, if publishers are hard building and they're building technology into the platforms that get a lot of eyeballs, then maybe that is not such a bad thing because maybe the cost goes up and maybe we don't see as many like weight loss ads inside of all of our Facebook feeds okay. or maybe we don't see some of that. So I think that there's uh, a real good opportunity to actually like improve the quality of ads that are built into the places that we do go and consume content on. So uh, I kind of like sit both sides where I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of, the jury's out yet. We'll see how much it starts to impact. I know that people are very worried about it. But at the same time, I hope that it raises the level of creativity and of intelligence of how we're actually like. This sort of begs the question in which most independent media is supported by some sort of form of marketing, um, whether it is sort of a little bit more hard to scale up um, branded content, influencer uh, marketing, things like that, or the very scaled up of display ads and things like that. Um, but there's a little bit of social contract in which a lot of consumers are getting really great content for free. Um, and once they block the ads, it sort of falls or, you know, the model um, falls apart. So what would be your suggestion of how if um, publishers really need to um, depend on ads, the display ads, the, you know, the scalable kind, how would you suggest them sort of think about their strategy of how they remind consumers about the social contract or do you think it's a lost cause and they should just really invest in the branded influencer marketing type of road um, and really just double down there versus trying to save the scaled um, sort of part of their business model? Uh, I think that that's, I think that, I think that any publisher, no matter if you're independent, I think that everybody's on the same playing field right now today. Like that, you know, obviously some people might start off with more resources or an established strategy and some people might be new. Um, and so I think that for whether you're an independent media company and you feel like you find a really great creator in your industry and you want to hire them or, or bring them on board because of the audience that they can bring and opportunities that they can build for your thing, that's one way. But I think that you have to look at yourself and say, hey, if we can build an audience, if we're serving, if we're, you know, if, if we're if people are consuming content, if we're publishing it and they're, and they're consuming it, 
then at some point we are building an audience, right? We're looking at that and that might be on social platforms and we need to figure out ways to convert them into like long-term subscribers. And it doesn't, and I think that you look at emails, you look at apps, you look at, you know, email newsletters, I think are still some of the best ways to reach people. Yeah. So I think that if you have a great value prop, if you're, you know, if you're publishing great content, if you're, you know, finding a great cadence at which to, to serve that to your, to your audience, you know, you should be able to figure out different ways to pull that, pull some of that social traffic off of social and into places where you can actually more reliably measure that reach and things like that. So, you know, email newsletters is a great way because, you know, you can go and sell against that and, and yeah. that's not going to get blocked, right? Being able yep. to put in partnerships or, like I said, the sponsored and branded content, that's a one big way the publishers are able to give more reach to advertisers and sell that in. Um, and I think that that's really the goal, right, is, you talked about the display ads. That's that model of thinking with the dot com at the center. And you need to really look at the sum of all your parts of your entire brand and put your brand at the center. And so if I am, you know, Del Mondo and Del Mondo was a news organization instead of, uh, instead of an, an ad agency, we effectively would do all of this. We'd publish all this content on all these channels and we'd figure out ways where we make a combination of sponsor posts and social and uh, deliveries in our email newsletter and, and content on our website or events in, in real life that we can offer you, that we can put on for you or training or education or bringing in industry leaders in a space or entertainers. You know, TubeFilter just is an industry publication, independent publisher type, and they just put on an event in New York, StreamCon New York. Mm-hmm. And, you know, tons of, you know, I worked with a company called SocialFresh, socialfresh.com, we are a social media education company, and for about 10 years now, I think, uh, Jason Keith, who's the CEO, he's built events and you know, brought events to different cities, and that was anchored at the center of an independent publishing operation. So I think that you have to look at all of those different things around you, and that's the future of, of monetization for publishers, is building unique packages that are cross-platform. Great. Great advice, Nick. It's been great having you on the show. Thank you for um, sharing your thoughts on us. Uh, Nick, and to all of our listeners out there, remember you can find this and more podcast episodes of Mobile Power and Profit in the iTunes store or simply go to mobilepowerandprofit.com. Tell us what you thought of today's episode on social media using hashtag RumbleMPP. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Mobile Power and Profit presented by Rumble, the ultimate platform to run your mobile business. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.